If you're willing and able here on campus, will you please stand and follow along on the screens as I read our scripture, uh, which our sermon is based this morning. It comes from Matthew 16. You can follow along on the screens as I read. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, uh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, uh, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to say hi uh, to everyone here on campus and those of you watching online. Wonderful to have you with us today. Um, if you're new with us, uh, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, you actually came on a great weekend. We are beginning a new sermon series uh, called Unrelenting Rescue. And um, if you don't know much uh, about church or you, ha- you don't have much of a church background, that's okay. We actually uh, were in a, the church calendar uh, season called Lent. Um, it began on Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday, and, ger- and goes up through uh, to Holy Week and Palm Sunday. Uh, and this is a season of Lent that really marks a season of examination for us as the church as we journey to Jerusalem with Jesus and to the cross. And so we'll be looking at through this sermon series that'll take us up to Holy Week, um, uh, through Holy Week uh, to Easter. Uh, we're going to be looking at this journey to the cross, these encounters people had with Jesus on the way to the cross and the unrelenting rescue that we see in the person of Jesus. Today, we find ourselves with Jesus and his disciples. They have been following him for some time now, and, and Jesus wants to know, them to know what lies ahead on this journey to Jerusalem. He wants to make sure they truly know who he is, and for us this morning, that we truly know who he is. Do you know who he truly is? Three things uh, we need to look at this morning. If we, we want to get this into our hearts, who he truly is, three things. Uh, the question, the confession, and the promise. So let's look first at the question. Jesus asks them a question. It's actually in verse 15. And it's the question that every human being must answer in their lifetime. Jesus said to them, but who do you say? Who do you say that I am? Uh, Jesus lived in a time and in a society where there are many different interpretations about who Jesus was and, and what he was trying to do. And it's clear from our passage, Jesus sees the seriousness the seriousness of how we answer that question uh, because it has so many details related to the place, the place where he asked them that question. Uh, Jesus has brought his disciples, it tells us, to the place called Caesarea Philippi. Um, This place had just recently been named that at this time. Herod the Great had had previously died in 4 BC, um, and this land has now come under the governing Tetrarch, Philip. 
And so Philip wanted to rename it Caesarea in honor of the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus. But there was already a Caesarea that existed on the coast. And so how will we keep that Caesarea distinguished from this Caesarea? Well, Philip thought, what better way than to name it Philippi? How noble and humble of him after himself. But we must understand that this area, Caesarea Philippi, before it was named that, was called the land Peneus. It was named that by the Greeks because there was a shrine there to the god Pan. Um, And Pan uh, is where the ideas of pantheism come from. Uh, Pan in Greek means all or every and theism God. So all God, every, everything God. This is a common belief uh, you will hear some answer today in Orlando. Uh, we, we, there, they, people will say, oh, I, I, we all have some God in us. We all have a, we're all God in some way. We have this divine spark uh, within us. Everything is connected to the universe. The universe is a wonderful word you hear nowadays. Everyone's talking about the universe. We're all connected to the universe. Uh, they, they'll say, Jesus, he, he had this evolved consciousness that he radiated to us about the universe, something like that. You'll, I hear this from time to time, and this is what they thought and some believe now. But notice there were others there around this time saying other things about Jesus. The word on the street uh, was that Jesus was a prophet. That's what we see in our passage. Jesus was a prophet. The, the, there are people in the Jewish community at this time who saw Jesus was the reincarnated version of John the Baptist or Elijah, or even Jeremiah, that they, they said Jesus was a prophet. Uh, Jesus is a good moral teacher. He, he came to show us uh, how, how to live. Um, he, he came to show us how to live out the, the beautiful things of love and peace for our world. He's, he's just another great teacher in the long line of wisdom teachers through the ages. Maybe, maybe you've heard that. So you see, there are many different interpretations on who Jesus was when he walked the earth. And those same interpretations actually still exist a lot today. Friends, and I submit to you, if you hear nothing else today, this question from Jesus, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Is the most important question that you must answer in your lifetime. Who do you say that I am? And the reality is our lives are filled with questions. Uh, where, where are we going to go to brunch or lunch today? Um, uh, what, what meetings do I have on my calendar for this week? Uh, who won the magic game? Uh, they won on Friday, by the way, they still have a long way to go, but they won. Uh, my wife actually texts me a question every single day. When will you be home? And what I've learned is you never, ever, ever deviate from whatever you text back as the answer. But then there are more serious questions. How, how are the kids really handling this pandemic? How is our marriage really doing? Do I need to see a counselor? Our lives are filled with questions, some simple, some mundane, but some serious and some very important. But what happens is in the continual barrage of questions, they push aside the most important question we must answer, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
And we cannot simply provide an answer. I mean, many at Caesarea Philippi uh, supplied an answer, uh, but some of them answered, hey, we're all God. Uh, others said uh, from the peripheral Jewish community, no, uh, no, 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 Jesus isn't God. A great guy, swell guy, great good teacher for life. But he's not God. Philosopher Dallas Willard um, says there are four questions that all humanity and every civilization has tried to answer. Four questions. Everyone has tried to answer throughout all civilizations. And one of those is, what is reality? What is reality? What's real? What what can we count on in life? Uh, Now you're wondering, okay, Tyler, what were the other three questions? We'll get to those at some point, I promise. But this question, what is reality, is so important. Because it's not only can we provide an answer to the question, but it has to be a question connected to reality. We can't just give an answer to who do you say I am, but there has to be the answer that connects with reality. What is real? What can we count on? We have to supply an answer that is connected with reality or things will go very bad for us. Uh, A couple months ago, um, we were flying back from seeing some family and we were at the airport and we were, we were getting ready to board our plane. But before we board a plane, we wanted to grab some food. And you know, at most airports, there's one place where you go to get food. It's kind of the food court central area. And I'm there with our family and we're looking at all the options of where we could possibly eat. Of course, my opinion does not matter at all in this. It's a hostage negotiation that we're working out. Um, and, and, and I noticed there is another young family just next to us doing the same thing. They're, they're all looking, oh, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And there is this four-year little old girl, I guess she was about four, blonde hair, sitting next to me. Uh, and her family's trying to decide where they're going to go. She, she looks at me and she says, hi. And, and of course, I, I, I look at her and I say, hi, great, great to meet you. That's probably the extent of it in that moment. And then I looked at uh, her mom and I, I said, oh, what an adorable little girl you have. And the mom, she, she looked at me very puzzled, um, very puzzled, almost in a, in a way she blew me off, which I was stunned by. Um, I said in my head, okay, she must be from New York. <laughs> but as we were walking away, heading to eat at a restaurant that I had no see in, um, Amory, my daughter grabbed me and she said, daddy, uh, did you know that little girl you thought was actually a boy? At that one moment, it clicked. That, that, now I know why that mom was so upset. I had called her little boy a little girl. Of course she was mad. Why, why would why, We have to provide an answer that is actually connected with reality. Dallas Willard said it another way about what is reality. He said it this way, and I felt it in that moment. Reality is what you bump into when you are wrong. Reality is what you bump into when you are wrong. And oh, did I bump into reality in that moment? Of course, of course, this mom was upset with me. By the way, if you're watching, I'm sorry. But of course, of course, this moment, she, she felt what was true of her daughter. I just did not know. And it's not only that we have to create enough space in our life to sit with the most important question that we'll ever be asked, who do you say that I am? But we also must provide an answer that speaks to and aligns with reality. Now you may be thinking, well, how do I know we have an answer connected with reality. How, how do I know I have an answer connected with reality? Well, that's the second thing we have to get into our hearts. It's the confession. Peter, on behalf of the rest of the disciples, is there, and, and he answers this question on behalf of them. This is what he says. 
Simon, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter declares reality. What, what is real? What, what can we count on? You see, with this confession, Peter spoke against the views of Pan and what I would call the, quote, spiritual but religious tribe. And maybe, maybe you're here saying that. Maybe you're saying, oh, I don't need to be a part of a church. I don't need to submit to the truth claims of the Bible. Um, I, I don't believe in the things like that. I just believe there's something, a, a God out there that I can connect to, that I can feel inside this divine spark in me. If that's you, I'm really glad you're here. But Jesus says that answer does not speak to reality. Uh, Peter says Jesus is the Christ. And what does that mean? It, well, Christ was a title. It wasn't, it wasn't his last name, in case you're wondering. For Jesus to be the Christ, it meant he was king. He was king. He, he alone was allowed to define reality. I hear people say uh, more and more in our culture, people say things like, you know, Tyler, I really struggle with the claims of the Bible. I, I, don't, I just don't know if I can worship a God like that. I don't know if I can worship a God like that. And I, I don't know if you hear this, but I hear this. I just can't worship a God like that. And our understanding of reality in this way of thinking is based on how we feel. Uh, something along that, like Jesus, uh, as long as Jesus fits into how I see things. But because Jesus is king, he doesn't really care about how you and I feel. We can choose to follow him or not, but Peter's confession doesn't say, You are the Christ when you approve my lifestyle. You, you are the Christ when the Bible says everything I want it to say. Uh, you're the Christ because you fit nice and neatly into my box. The confession is you're the Christ. You're the King. Now notice how Jesus, he took on more secular views and reality of speaking this way, but he also took on uh, more religious views in debating them. You see the religious people of Jesus's day also wanted him to fit in a box. You're, you're Elijah, you're, you're a prophet, you're a Messiah, uh, or you're, you're Jeremiah. He's a good moral teacher, but he, he's not God as some have claimed. And that's not part of what you will hear today. Some, some say, you know, I like Jesus. I like the things that he said, like what he had to get about, but he wasn't God. And if that's you, I'm really glad that you're here. But Jesus says that answer doesn't speak to reality. Peter says, you are the son of the living God. The confession is that Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, notice Jesus' response to Peter's confession. He tells him, my father has revealed this to you. You see, Jews in that day, they, they may have said father or our father when they prayed, but they never would have said my father. Uh, Jesus is telling us, I'm not simply a good moral teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a person of love. I am God. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the living God. Friends, this morning, this is the question that you have to wrestle with. And is that your confession? Now, this is certainly not the only time that we see this confession in the Bible. In fact, in the New Testament alone, we see Jesus is Lord over 300 times. Another word for Christ in the Bible is the Messiah. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Another way to see this in the Bible is that the Christ would come, the Messiah would come, and he would be a lion. He'd be a lion. The Bible tells us the Messiah would come, this Christ would come, and he would be the lion of Judah, that the king of the universe is a lion. Uh, a few years back now, I went to South Africa for a trip and got to go to a lion park. I've no, I don't know if you've ever been to a lion park, but I highly recommend it. Um, but at this lion park, we, we got to see where they raise lions from birth as babies all the way to adulthood. 
And we spent most of our time in the cage with these baby lions, and it was an amazing experience. We, 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 we cuddled with these lions. We, we, we held them. We fed them. We, we wrestled with them. We, I mean, we were on the ground just like beating them up and having the greatest time. We, were, we, we even at points would take our hands and we'd put them in the mouth of the lion just to feel, what, what do those cute little baby teeth feel like? Oh, it's wonderful. And then we left the babies and we went over outside the fence of the adult lions. We stood there and there was a razor wire fencing that went 70 feet into the air because adult lions from a standstill jump can jump almost 40 feet. Uh, we, we stood 30 feet back as a group, just watching these lions. No, I mean, no, not one of us wanted to get up uh, and put our hands through the fence. Uh, no one was saying, Hey, can I go in there with those lions? Uh, can I roughhouse with those lions? We, we, we just sat there in this moment. It was this feeling of awe that everyone felt. There was a sacred holiness to that place. No one wanted to step into the cage. No more laughter at this point, by the way, no more playing around with the little lions. Now it's just a hush just a hush. We just stared. We just watched. We beheld these lions. We didn't move. Friends, our God is a lion. Our God's a lion. And there should be a sense of awe that you are feeling inside in his presence that grows in you. It is this awe that we see throughout the Bible. There is a hush in his presence. Nobody is thinking, oh, I wonder how his bite would feel on my hand. And friends, we need a king like this. We need a God like this. Uh, we need to know that there is one who will set all things right in this world. One that will, that will see the, what you have gone through, who, who knows what you've gone through, and who can bring justice to our afflictions. Uh, one who knows the pain that you have experienced. One, uh, one who, as Sam Ganji said from The Lord of the Rings, who will make everything sad become untrue. We, we need a king like that. We desperately need a king. We need a lion. If God doesn't exist, what hope is there for us? What hope is there for us if God doesn't exist? We need a lion. But the question we must ask this morning is, if this is the confession, if this is reality, if Jesus is the king of the universe, if he is God in human flesh, if he's the lion of Judah, why am I still living as if my life is under my control? Uh, why am I so concerned about things going the way I want or think they should go? Why, why am I living as if I am the king of the universe? I, I read a Puritan prayer recently that just leveled me because it exposed this in me. And this is what this section of the prayer that got me. It said this, when thou would guide me, I control myself. When, when thou would be sovereign, I rule myself. When thou would take care of me, I suffice myself. When I should depend on thy providings, I supply myself. When I should submit to thy providence, I follow my will. Friends, this is the human condition, and frankly, it's my condition. Uh, we want a king who, who will judge the brokenness of this world, the evil that has happened to me, to set all things right, who will make every sad thing become untrue. We need a lion, or what hope is there for the world? But as I assess my own life with the help of this Puritan prayer, the brokenness and evil that exists in the world exists in me, exists in us. 
So we must ask, what hope is there for me? What hope is there for the world, but what hope is there for me? Do you see our issue? How can we stand before the presence of this king, this lion? Well, a little bit later in the first century, after Peter's confession here at Caesarea Philippi, there was, there was one claiming to be the king of the universe and the savior of the world. His name was Domitian. Uh, he was the ruler of the Roman Empire uh, from 81 to 96 D.D. Uh, AD. And uh, there's a picture we have of Domitian. Uh, and in this picture, you see that Domitian is, is depicted with a scroll in his hand. Now, this scroll in the hand of the Roman emperors was the display of their power. Uh, they were said to contain all authority uh, in the world as the emperor. And a popular saying you would hear at this time was that only the emperor was, quote, worthy to open the scroll. Only the emperor was worthy to open the scroll. So why do I bring that up? How does that solve our issue, our problem? Well, the apostle John, writing in the book of Revelation, under the reign of Domitian, says this. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to eat, to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, weep no more because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Who is able to open the scroll? Who is able to open this scroll? Who is able to set all things right? What hope is there for us? The line of Judah is actually the lamb. The lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of sins. The lamb that was slain as a ransom for you and for me so that we are free from condemnation. This is the confession. The lion is actually the lamb. The lion is actually the lamb. This is what Jesus is getting at at the end of our passage in Matthew. This is what we read in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and on the third day to be raised. What hope is there for us? What hope is there for us? We need a lion who can set all things right against us. We need a king who will judge all the things that have happened to us, but we need a lamb who will set all things right within us. He will bear the evil that lives in us. He is the lion who is actually the lamb. And when you get this confession, when this goes down deep in your bones, Jesus can say to you, like he said to Simon Peter, blessed are you, blessed are you, happy are you, free are you that you get what life is, that you get and understand reality when that goes down in your bones. There, there is a king who is worthy to open the scroll. He is the lion. He's powerful and mighty to set all things right. But the lion is actually the lamb that gave his life to save you. Have you made this your confession? Has this confession gone down deep in your bones? This, this is my life. The lion is actually the lamb. 
What hope is there for us? What hope is there for us? The lion is the lamb. Because when this becomes your confession, when this goes down deep in your bones, there's nothing you will face that makes life feel too dark. There's no cancer or criticism. There's no slander or sickness. There's nothing that has happened to you that won't be set right. There's no sin that you've committed that Jesus won't forgive because he's in control, because he has saved us. However bleak things look, however fearful you may feel today, there is a king who has promised us that he will see his redemption through to completion. There's a promise. There's a promise, he said. That's the third thing we've got to get in our hearts. There's a promise. What's the promise? Well, we see it in verse 18. This is what it says. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church, this is our promise. Now, for the longest time, I thought when I read this passage that it was talking about the attacks of the evil one on us, like that the evil one is beating down on the church, but somehow we will be able to weather the storm. I read a story recently about um, this guy who grew up on the Atlantic coast building sandcastles, really intricate sandcastles that he, he would form with his own hands and a, a, a real beauty that people would come see. And there was a week uh, during the summer where he had some bullies that would come by every day and destroy the sandcastles that he had made. And, and so he got the idea that uh, he would place cinder blocks and rocks and stones and concrete at the base of his castles that he would then cover up with the sand after he had completed it. And then he would walk away and uh, just let it be there. And these bullies surely showed up and uh, had met their match with their bare feet on these sandcastles that were actually rocks. And, you know, as I thought about that story, I realized that's actually not the biblical picture at all. Uh, it's actually the opposite. You see, the gates in the ancient world were for defending the city. Uh, the church is not under attack, but the church, has, because of this promise, is attacking and taking the ground. Because Jesus is king, the gates of hell cannot stand or stop the attack as the church, led by the lion, who is actually the lamb, pervades the broken world that you and I live in as the true king, and not even hell itself will stand in his way. And this is reality. It's true. Right now, the church is exploding in parts of the world. China, Southern Hemisphere is exploding. But this is the promise. It's not our strength. It's not our ability. It is this confession. There is a king of the universe, the Lion of Judah, who is actually the lamb that was slain. Have you put your trust in this confession? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus as the king of your life? This is the promise. Nothing will stand in his way of redeeming your life and my life and this broken world, no matter how dark the outcome looks. Uh, on New Year's Day, 1956, five missionaries were preparing for their upcoming attempt to make contact with the fierce and violent Alca tribe in Ecuador. Uh, Nate Saint was going to fly over uh, Palm Beach. is the place where they had previously exchanged gifts by air with members of this tribe. And he was going to be bringing uh, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCauley, Roger Udarian. And they had collected all the things that they had needed for their mission. On January 8th at 1230 p.m., Nate Saint radioed home to uh, the missionary base, the missionary station, uh, to his wife Marge. These words, looks like Alcas will be here for our early afternoon service. Pray for us. This is the day. 
We'll contact you at 4.30. Uh, the wives regathered uh, around that radio to hear from them at 4.30, but there was silence. All five men had been killed by the Alka tribe. Their bodies had been found floating in the water and the men's bodies were buried there at Palm Beach, the place where they were hoping to make friendly contact. What happened with the wives and children left behind? Do they just return home to the States? Do they just say, well, the gates of hell just get to win sometimes? Well, by the end of 1958, two years later, Jim Elliott's wife, who was slain, his wife, Elizabeth, and Nate, Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, were now living among the Alka tribe. The very same people who had murdered Elizabeth's husband and Nate's brother. You see, these women knew that nothing will stand in the way of this promise. Nothing will stand in the way. There is a lion who is actually the lamb. And one by one, these Alkas put their faith in Jesus Christ. The five men who had murdered the American missionaries became not only Christians, but they became the spiritual leaders of the Alka tribe. And nine years later, in June of 1965, two of Nate Saint's sons, Kathy and Stephen, were baptized at Palm Beach in the same water where their father's body was found. They were baptized by the two men who had killed their father, who had come to faith in Jesus. I will build my church. I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus tells us, no matter how dark the circumstances appear in your life, no matter how grim the outcome feels right now, God is building his church on this confession. And there is one king of the universe, and he has been given all authority, all authority on heaven and earth, and the gates of hell will not stand in his way. Friends, where this morning do you need to be reminded of this great truth, this confession, this reality? that Jesus will accomplish everything in you and through you. Where do you need to be reminded again this morning that God will bring resurrection life to the most broken of places that you're experiencing? Is this your confession? Is this your confession? Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, help me. Have you given your life to this king? Have you put your trust in the lion? who is actually the lamb. Let's pray. Oh, our father, we, we thank you for this confession, this reminder that it is not about us. It's about you. It's about this great promise of your work in this broken world. The lion is actually the lamb and nothing, not even the gates of hell will stand in his way. So Father, as much as we need it this morning, remind us of this truth today. Remind us of what we need to hear from you this morning, the places we need to let go and the hope we need to hang on to. Let it go down in our bones. Draw us to yourself and use us by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen, amen.